welcome to the October 30th pre-Halloween edition of Friday Conversations with Damon and Sheehan. Hello, everyone. How's it going, Damon? It's going great. I'm really excited about our guest this week. Of course. Today we have uh, Anne Janot from the Sociology Department. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Um, if you're just tuning in, we're continuing with our show, Friday Conversations. The theme this fall has been uh, graduate students and their research, and so continuing with that, we brought in Anne today. Um, Anne, just uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, where you're from, um, how you ended up here, just an overall overview of your life so far. Oh, my life. <laughs> 30 years. Um, I'm from Seattle originally. Um, oh, Seattle. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's uh, lovely out there. Um, I just started my PhD in January in sociology here at SDSU. I've kind of um, lived in a few places, but um, I went back and got my master's a few years ago um, and finished up that here at SDSU as well uh, in sociology, but kind of focusing on community development. Okay. Uh, so what brought you all the way out from Seattle um, people here talk always talk about going out to the West or East, and oh, uh, you decided to come yeah. to the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just kind of chance. You know, things happen, work and school and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, I've lived quite a few places. Seattle's just the first one. Okay, uh, so you talked about uh, your your research that you did in Iowa. Yeah, you lived there for some time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, tell us a little bit more about that. So. Um, I live in, I, uh, I currently live, and I'm in the process of moving to Brookings, but I live in Iowa's 4th Congressional District, which is uh, politically, socially, religiously one of the most conservative uh, districts for sure in the region, but also in the United States. It has a Cook's uh, Partisan Voter Index score of R plus 4 or 5. Which, would you explain for our listeners? Uh, um, that's just, it's just a measure of um, the, uh, the cons the level of conservatism or liberalism of the mm -hmm. voting population. Okay. So the further are you away from the further you are away from zero, the more partisan you are either side. Okay. And so living there, I was um, really interested in. I just in my personal time, I did a lot of work with different um, advocacy groups um, that worked with immigrant populations. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just became, um, I think, interested in that in the issue of immigration, um, you know, personally. And then as far as like developing a research interest for my master's thesis, I was looking at, um, the ways that communities responded to these new immigrant groups. So, um, I don't really have a better way to describe it, but you kind of had these, ta these communities that had been mostly white for, mm -hmm. you know, ever since Europeans, you know, took the land mm -hmm. and, um, and then, you know, these sort of enclaves of communities that were like immigrant boom towns. They're most, mostly Hispanic Latino folks. And um, how, how are these mostly white, you know, Northern European heritage people responding? Um, and basically, um, in general, it was, it's so interesting. So, you know, religiously, these, a lot of these folks are very um, conservative as well. And what you actually saw was... Um, Personally and professionally, people were very welcoming towards immigrant populations. Um, mm -hmm. They uh, saw that, informed by their faith traditions, that um, you know the the family value aspect of it, and they they felt that a lot of the immigrant populations that were employed um, in these various agribusiness industries um, shared a lot of those values. Okay. And so you had people that were personally interested in um, the well-being of this population, but then when they went to vote, they voted against um, immigration reform in general. And it's, it's it's super interesting. I mean, they voted for um, politicians who voted against, against who would vote against yeah. immigration mm -hmm. reform. And so... Um, 
and <coughs> if you look at like the social networks, um, it's a, the welcome the immigrant welcoming groups um, in this part of Iowa are very well networked and very well resourced. But then, and then when you look at like the anti-immigrant groups, there's no um, to speak of. There's really no network networking at all. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, the member of Congress for this congressional district is very anti-immigrant and just really um, teasing out. So why do we have these folks who are personally and theologically um, welcoming towards immigrants, and then why are they voting for people that are unwelcoming towards immigrants? And so you know, we really looked at a lot of the literature on ideology, and it really seems that there's just this. Um, it's not like sense of place, but this like sense of self in a place. Mm -hmm. You know, to be in this part of Iowa is to be a Republican, and so you, you know, oh. you had folks that it just it wasn't. Oh, of course I love so and so this like immigrant person and their family and their mm -hmm. in, in, as part of this community, but there's just this kind of disconnect, and so it was really looking at the influence of like social. Um, the influence of ideology um, ag against this like very robust and rich, you know. Uh, immigrant welcoming capital in this area. Wow. Iowa. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things in there. That's very interesting. Um, so do you think there was a, do, there was a difference uh, post nine 11 uh, between, or I don't know if you started your research before that, but I mean, do you think there might've been a difference because of that or? Um, I don't, I can't speak to that in Iowa. I wasn't mm -hmm. in Iowa before nine okay. 11. Um, but I know that a lot of the, um, the different folks that I've worked with, I mean, for sure, mm -hmm. like if you look at the, you know, this, the, 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 I'm putting like quotes, like the fear, yeah. um, the reticence, that's definitely, um, you know, I can't speak to it personally, but it's definitely been noted by others that I've worked with. Okay. Uh, how, how long did you do this for? Um, it was about a, well, the research itself was about a year. Mm -hmm. So I focused on five, um, kind of boom, um, immigrant boom town. It's not, they don't meet the threshold for a boom town, but there's just been a, in the last 20, 30 years, there's been a, a, a really sizable population increase. Okay. Um, so I focused on five communities. I gave them pseudonyms and I went through and I did these very, um, kind of long, this, these long slog interviews mm -hmm. with, um, market state civil society representatives, you know, mayors, police folks, pastors, teachers, things like that, um, to really just kind of dig down and see what things were like before, how they've changed and their attitudes about, about the new immigrant population. So once you do all of this research, is there, uh, something that's done in response or are you just trying to kind of understand, uh, the society better? Well, I think, um, you know, sociology, we talk about this quite a lot in the department, you know, mm -hmm. because obviously you care about your research interests, but you want to make sure that your research can stand on its own. And so for me personally, without, you know, perception of bias. So, um, for me personally, like I do a lot of, uh, work in the community and advocacy work, but I try to set that aside. A, a colleague peer of mine says that you, you know, you put your sociology hat on, you take your advocacy hat off and, you know, switch that around. And so for me personally, um, obviously I don't want that, that, um, like my personal feelings to inform like my, my research, but I want my research to matter. So I think it, that's a line for sure. Okay. Um, so after Iowa, after this research, I believe you moved out to the east. Did some political, or was that before? That was before. That was that after was my undergrad. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what made you move out to the move out to DC? What was the attraction over there? Well, I um, I was living in Washington D.C. I had finished my undergrad in philosophy, and mm -hmm. um, people 
you know, say, oh, we'll enjoy being a Starbucks barista with that degree. But I completely disagree. And if anybody is listening, I absolutely recommend getting your undergraduate degree in philosophy. I don't know that SDSU's program is very strong there, but um, I don't believe there is one <laughs> anymore. There no, we don't but, have a philosophy um, program. But it's really informed um, a lot of the ways that I like look at and consider, you know, for sure in my PhD, like social phenomena. So I was working um, um, in political advocacy when I lived in DC. So I was. Um, I was working around issues of um, homelessness and um, child victims of physical and sexual abuse. And I did that for a few years um, before I decided I wanted to go back and get my master's here. And what was the push, the motivation to come back to school? Um, That's a big question we ask uh, most of our uh, guests, actually. I I definitely think that I'm I love learning and I love reading and I just kind of felt like I don't yeah I mean I absolutely am a lifelong learner for sure so I didn't it wasn't like uh, uh you know like this cosmic break oh now this is happening it was definitely <laughs> it was definitely like over time it was cult you know it just mm-hmm. it was cultivated and I had the right pressures from people in my life like this seems like the right time and just yeah. Um, would you advocate for undergraduates to take a break before they went to grad school? I love this question. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it it absolutely depends on you. I mean, I know some of the most amazing people that I work with right now in sociology have gone straight through Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're brilliant and super high functioning and their CVs are, you know, pages long and they're doing great and they don't, they didn't want to. And they don't get bored of school. I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't, I think the rigor is. Uh, no, not to my knowledge. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I took a break just because I didn't, I didn't have like, I guess I don't want to say the, like the, I just didn't know what was next. And I knew that I wanted to work and I wouldn't have done it differently. And I don't feel too, I mean, I'm 30. I don't feel old or anything in my, in my cohort at all. So, um, I think it's your, I think a lot depends on your personality and what opportunities that you have and you know, you're, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, there, uh, with the political lens and the spectrum that you bring, it's I found this disconnect between trying to get college students, especially undergraduates, interested in the political scene at all. Of I TA for a couple math classes, and I've asked them if they're watching the Republican debate or the Democratic debate, and the only part they could not name off more than two candidates. You know, and there's this disconnect that I feel that undergraduate or students now, on average are not attracted to that, but um, I, I don't know. How would you address that, in a sense? If, if uh, Do you think it's grown bigger over time to the like people being in? You know, I have a lot of friends, and I have a lot of... I, I know a lot of people who kind of have said the same type of... I, I observe, I've observed the same type of thing, and I obviously it just... One, one is just your interests. Like, mm-hmm. I, oh, I'm interested in the horse race, but I also think that, like, it matters, and I've seen it matter in the lives of people that I know and love, and I've seen it, po- politics specifically, but, you know, state, local, mm-hmm. regional, national legislation, it affects people's lives. And it does. So, and mm-hmm. so I, I think that if you... I mean, if you're in a relatively, you know, privileged and sequestered pres- position, if you just haven't really um, seen that impact on a personal level, you might uh, you might not know about it or think about it at all. But I think that um, once you've kind of been exposed to it mattering, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I shouldn't speak. Obviously, this is just my perspective. But, mm-hmm. you know, the folks that I know that are really passionate have been have seen the impacts, I guess. And it's a mess. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not um, diehard one party or the other by no, any means. No, no. I just think that it really matters to be engaged. It does. 
Yeah, that's that was our, uh, that's a very very good good way to put it actually because uh, engagement is something that we lack uh, in a lot of sense. Um, but so, what was your motivation for all these things? What was your motivation to what was <laughs> for uh, for your uh, the research you did in Iowa? Um, I've been kind of trying to think about that a little bit too, yeah. because I've been like we were talking about. I'm kind of switching, like not switching, but I'm broadening to. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in environmental sociology as well, mm-hmm. and I think that like you know, um, reflecting on these seemingly like very different research areas, I think like the broader the broader, the broader thing that I'm interested in is how communities respond to change and like who, and this, I guess this idea of like winners and losers. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think that's something that's been consistent for me throughout so that it seems like a shift and it is, but it's also like a really good fit, I think. Advocating for like a winner versus loser. No, and you know, it's, it's again, because sociology, you kind of have to put your advocacy hat down because you, mm-hmm. the, the, the research is so important. Um, and if I think that if like, I'm a very passionate and excited person and I love the work that I do. And we love that. <laughs> you bring that here. <laughs> but I also know that if that is, if that really, uh, I, I would hate for that to affect the way that my research is received. Like I want my research to stand on its own. And so, um, I think that I'm interested in the research interests that, that I'm in because I, I'm interested in this idea of winners and losers. But when I but but when I come to my research, I want to I want to as much as I can. It's impossible to be objective, but as much as I can, I want to understand what's happening um, without inserting myself, which I know is impossible. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. How do we keep our personal biases out of? Out of our research, I think that's one of the questions we try to answer in environmental sociology too. When I took the class last or two two semesters ago, yeah, I remember it's been a long time in school. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you came back to school, uh, and now you're focusing on uh, energy the uh, the in the up north in North Dakota and the northwestern part of South Dakota. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. So um, the. This summer, we're just wrapping up. We're going to have, um, we're kind of, we're working on a book chapter and uh, there's a webinar coming up um, in just a couple of days here, actually. But it was this really interesting, um, kind of smallish research project that was done in uh, in conjunction with North Dakota State University. And basically, I had a, um, a peer um, who he's actually, he's brilliant and he just completed his PhD. Um, but basically he went, we, what we were looking at is the impact of the uh, Bakken oil development on housing specifically. Mm-hmm. And so um, from North Dakota, he, his name is Felix and he went to um, some central Bakken communities. And then um, in South Dakota, I went to some sort of Bakken periphery communities. Um, there's been a lot of press and a lot of research that's been done on, oh, you know, like the social, psychological, environmental impacts in these kind of core Bakken areas, Mm -hmm. but comparatively much less so um, in these periphery communities, which, you know, they're located on major transportation routes. Like they share, um, you know, uh, legislators, Um, they're affected, but we're not, they're not getting the same sort of research attention. So I spent... um, not not super long time, but I did. I conducted interviews this summer in um, three of these periphery communities that are in northwestern South Dakota. Okay. Yeah. And uh, w- 
I guess what was your what was your finding for the most part? Yeah. So um, one thing that we know, because, you know, we were focusing more on housing, but we were also looking at the way that um, people felt or didn't feel and to what extent mm -hmm. that this oil development was affecting um, their communities, um, their relationships, their neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of like one set of the, our research questions. And then the other set was more focused on housing. And so the thing that, as far as the housing, what really emerged is um, housing in rural, especially these very remote rural communities, um, and for sure in South Dakota, but in many parts of the um, central Northern Plains Midwest, it's the housing is a problem in the first place, um, mm -hmm. availability, affordability, and quality. Um, and then when you add this, like this, you know, secondary, mm -hmm. the, all, everything that's been happening with the oil development, it really, um, increases the pressure, even in these periphery communities. So, you know, I saw a lot of, and I, um, learned a lot about, you know, these elderly populations for sure that, um, you know, as the as the tax bases go up and as the demand for more housing increases, that puts all pressure on these people that um, whose houses are already in in oftentimes in poor condition. Mm -hmm. And so housing is an issue anyway, and it's the um, the pressures have certainly been increased. And uh, are they being are they being for? Because I, I know when I biked through Dickinson, a lot of the elderly communities they were forced to move out because they couldn't afford. Um, for the housing anymore is that is that an issue well it is and it's um and then you have these elderly care facilities that are at capacity and so oh, what are people uh, doing i mean it's mm -hmm. so interesting these towns i mean um you know 500 person town mm -hmm. and you couldn't buy a house there i mean it has absolutely full housing and then and then you have um not just elderly but definitely elderly folks that are kind of trapped in their homes and the home quality oftentimes is very poor mm -hmm. and there's nowhere for them to go and so um you know that's the quality piece, I think, and the availability are two of the biggest issues. And uh, what's the outcome for this research? Do you expect uh, the government to take notice of this? Which, I mean, they should by now, obviously, because of the... Uh, you, you talked about crime a little um, before we started the show. The crime rates have come and gone uh, and stuff like that. So is the government taking notice of all this oil boom or... Uh, of the research that you're doing? You know, I, I can't speak to North Dakota really. Well, mm -hmm. this is this was a relatively small project that we were working on with the North Central Regional Center for Rural Development. Um, I know that, like, we're working, we're completing a white paper now, and the function of that should be um, definitely, hope, definitely, hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. um, notice could be taken. I don't know. We're also working on a book chapter right now, and that's just starting, so that doesn't have um, super long legs yet. But I think that that's, that would, I mean, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. So now that that project is kind of uh, wrapping itself up with the book chapter and everything, do you have a plan for what's next? Or are you working on something else currently? Um, so, well, my research assistantship is, um, um, it's a, it's a, a project um, that we're working on to sort of coordinate the work of different disciplines across um, energy development in different energy development regimes in North America. And so I'm um, just working with a couple um, amazing faculty here at SDSU and then elsewhere um, at different research institutions across the United States to really um, work to mitigate the sort of siloing that can happen um, across disciplines. So, you know, for example, hydraulic fracturing or wind development, um, you know, 
anthropologists, sociologists, geographers are conducting research in these areas, but to what extent are they um, uh, resourced to work together um, and to to really hopefully propel um, um, better research collaboratively, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinarily. So um, this is a it's a National Science Foundation um, grant that um, I'm I'm kind of working to coordinate um, to help coordinate and resource these faculty. But that's a big a big thing that we're working on right now, and that's really exciting. Yeah, that sounds like something you'd be really interested in when you mentioned before you have kind of a, a diverse background. You've done a lot of different, uh, studied a lot of different areas. Oh, well, thank you for <laughs> tying that together for me. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Do you see math anywhere involved in that? Math? Math. Oh, my God. I just that I wish I was better at it. I don't. <laughs> you guys are the mathletes over there. But what? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I think we're uh, wrapping up here shortly, but uh, if uh, are there any last words you want to say to uh, people that are listening to, unless Damon has more questions? Yeah, or just uh, maybe aspiring sociologists or exactly. any of the other things that you've studied? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely recommend uh, some of the environmental sociology classes that we offer here at South Dakota mm-hmm. State University. There's some really good faculty that um, uh, it would people would be lucky to to work with. It's, and it's really um, an exciting and emerging and important field. Um, and especially um, as we look at um, growing issues around climate science and how communities um, can really build resiliency um, and what a sustainability um, into the into the future. It's just um, the, the social aspect of that is um, a really exciting field. So mm-hmm. um, I couldn't recommend some of these classes more. That's awesome. Would you uh, would you would you name a few? I know Damon is registered for drugs and no environmental energy. Yeah. Something. Okay. Yeah, Something that's like definitely. Um, I forget. That's definitely one mm-hmm. that we're actually we're just talking about today. So sign up for that class. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know one of our roommates before he took uh, drugs in society. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I remember <laughs> uh, J- uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Jaquette talking about how the poster for drugs in society was a lady smoking a joint and <laughs> that really attracted a lot of uh, the students apparently so yeah. and also um Jaquette for sure and I think Dr. Yingling was the mm-hmm. professor for yeah. um for the drugs in society class and those are two really just phenomenal faculty members and they're really fun to work with so go register for those classes I do second that I've taken a class with Dr. Jaquette and uh he's uh he's quite amazing yeah, and neither of them have any uh, prerequisites, so don't worry about being qualified or anything. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, uh, listeners, we're uh, just uh, winding down on Friday Conversations here with uh, Damon and myself, Shihan. We had Anne Janad from the Sociology Department, uh, PhD candidate. Nope, student. student. I haven't oh. done my um, my prelims yet. Okay. But hopefully soon. <laughs> awesome. Well, I... Uh, a PhD student in the sociology department doing some excellent and very passionate research um, in, a, in a couple different areas. So if you guys are interested in sociology, the environment, anything of that sort, make sure you go pay and Janata visit. I believe it's in SCOBY. SCOBY. Yeah, I'm in 205, but there's other cool people too. So come say hi. Awesome. Um, but Damon, if you have any closing remarks... No, just uh, thanks for listening, and thanks, Anne, for being on the show this week. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, it was a really excellent conversation. We have another uh, sociology 
uh, department member joining us next week. Is that yes. right? Yes, his name is Josh, and uh, uh, we're looking forward to hearing more from him. It'll be it'll be quite amazing. Josh is awesome. <laughs> All right, thanks for tuning in. Uh, back to music.